1: Sometimes we preached on the persecuted church years and years ago, and I just randomly chose that situation to highlight, but it became an international incident because the young lady had gone to the well to drink some water, as people do when they're thirsty, but the people from a different religion than hers um, got upset with her for contaminating their water, and uh, eventually she got accused of blasphemy because she was trying to explain You know, Abraham is the father of both of those particular downlines. And uh, she ended up in jail. Uh, There was a local politician tried to advocate for her and he was assassinated. There was a judge that tried to advocate for her and he was assassinated. There was a politician on the federal level that got assassinated. Um, Eventually, um, because of the international pressure on the government of Pakistan, Uh, She was acquitted and released from prison. Um, She had endured some hardship over that time. Uh, The reason I'm telling you about the story of Azia Bibby, who I think now resides in Canada, when I was getting the information about her case from some of the ministries that we partner with that work with the persecuted church, okay, uh, they were giving us boots on the ground from people that we know kind of telling us what was happening. Some of your mainstream media presented that information very differently. Okay. They made a very different story, a very different narrative, a very different, and I began to ask some questions about why are some of the news feeds aligning with what I'm hearing from my friends who live there and why are some of them trying to create something that's not? And, That's why when we look at things like what's happening in the Middle East, you're not gonna watch a TikTok video and understand thousands of years of history in two minutes. Okay? The sons of Ishmael and the sons of Isaac have been at war for a long time. There will be peace one day, false peace, and then a real peace that will follow when Jesus returns. But uh, sometimes we... um, We think that because a a journalist puts an article out that we understand what's going on. So we need to pray for the countries of the world right now. There's a lot of violence going on around our our planet and uh, we need to pray. That said, today we're gonna conclude our series on the I Am statements of Jesus um, with I Am the Way, the Truth, and the Life that we read in John 14, 6. It's interesting that this statement that Jesus makes is found in John 14, right after some of the most encouraging words that you're gonna find in the entire Bible in the entire scriptures. Or at least personally, I find John 14, one, a very encouraging verse where Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. How many say in the world that we live in, you need to hear that, don't let your heart be troubled? Believe. And then he says, I go to prepare a place for you. How many know that's good news that our Savior is going to prepare a place for us to spend eternity with him? And then he promises that his disciples would get to be with him where he is. Then one of his disciples, in the middle of this conversation, Thomas walks up and says, hey, teacher, show me the way. No, just kidding. (laughs) He didn't say that. That's why I don't sing. That's why they do music. (laughs) He asks Jesus, how do we know the way to where you're going? And some of you young ones don't even know that song. Don't worry about it. <laughs> um, Jesus replies with this very simple statement, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus states and affirms and reveals his character once again, and he makes a revelation to mankind that I am the way. So when we look at Jesus the way, how many know that in life, Because of sin, all of us are lost without hope. You had no way to deal with your sin. There was no payment for your sin that you could pay. In the world out there, it tells us that there are many different ways to heaven. Have you ever heard there's many ways to heaven or all roads lead to God or all religions are trying to accomplish the same thing? If Jesus says that he is the only way, that means that all other ways are false or he's a liar. It's either or. If Jesus is the only way to heaven, then all other ways must be false, okay? You can't earn your way into heaven as some religions teach. You can't buy your way into heaven as some people like to believe. You certainly can't create your own way to God can't create your own religion your own way by default is the path that leads to destruction so if you're creating your own religion your own belief system that's not based on the holy scriptures then you are basically creating yourself a path of destruction even though you don't realize it in matthew chapter 7 in verse 13 jesus says you can enter god's kingdom only through the narrow gate and we did a whole lesson on jesus saying i am the gate The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. Jesus is the narrow gate. He makes that statement. So if Jesus is the narrow gate, which is the only way to get into the eternal life or in heaven with him, then all other beliefs must be false. Are we doing okay? In Acts chapter four, verse 12. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. So it's only in the name of Jesus. So when we look at it, Jesus is the only way, okay? There's philosophers out there. There's philosophy. There's other religions out there. There's people that don't believe in God. There's people that want to create their own path. I just have to do better than the person next to me. And maybe if I do better than him, we'll be okay? None of you have ever thought that though, right? Jesus is very clear. I am the only way to get to heaven, okay? Now now that said, it also says that he's the truth. So when I look at Jesus' truth, it's not just a set of data that we have to verify or try to verify. It's an attribute of who he is. And when we talk about attributes of Christ's character, The I am statements that we've gone over, which I'll recap in a moment, are all directly linked to who he is as he reveals himself to humans. Jesus will always fully reveal to us the truth of who God is. Okay, his person and work when he was here on earth, he revealed to us the fullness of who God is. Now the Holy Spirit always leads us to Jesus. Did everyone hear me say that? If it's the Holy Spirit in operation, it's always gonna point to Jesus. And if we love him, we obey his commandments. If you land elsewhere, it's not the Holy Spirit. Watch, John 14, a little further down from where we started. Jesus says in verse 15, if you love me, obey my commandments. Now, let's step aside. How many know that when it comes to something like love, actions speak louder than words? Yeah. Yes, no? Yeah, yeah. I mean, how many husbands and wives love each other? Anyone married? No one. Just a, I see a, my goodness. Those of you that are, do you love your husband or your wife? Yes? Absolutely. This is good. But do we demonstrate by our actions that we love our husband or wife? See, I can make a statement I love my wife. I've loved her 23 years, we've been married now. Okay? Yesterday. Man. 23 years ago, it was 70 degrees out and sunny. (laughs) Yesterday was not sunny and 70 degrees. (laughs) But I tell my wife that I love her, okay? And I declare and I can stand up here and say, I love my wife. But in my lifestyle, if I don't reflect and align my actions with those words, then I'm false. So I try to serve my, just like my wife tries to serve me and she loves me, but we try to serve one another Sometimes it's in the little things like, here, let me make you a cup of tea or let me open the car door for you or let me come here and embrace you and tell you how wonderful you are and how much I love you. I try as much as lies within me to demonstrate to my wife that she is loved. Now, you can ask her afterwards how good I do at that, sometimes better than others. Okay. If you say you love Christ... Are your actions reflective and in line with your profession? If we say we love him, do we obey what he teaches us to do? I'm just asking the question. Because Jesus says, if you love me, obey my commandments. Then he goes on and says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He's the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. But Jesus is the truth, so the Holy Spirit's always gonna point you to Jesus. The world can't receive him because he isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him, but you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. Jesus is revealing a very hard truth to us today. He states clearly, if you love me, you must obey my commandments or reversed. Failure to obey my commandments means we don't love him. So, When Jesus states in Mark 12, 29, teacher, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus says, he answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And you shall what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That sounds like all of you, hey? If you want someone to love you, you want them to love you with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. That's, pretty, that's a pretty complete package. Okay. Do you want someone to love you with all their heart, but not with their soul, mind, or strength? Anyone? No, thank you. <laughs> the second commandment is this. You shall love your neighbors yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. So that's a commandment that Jesus gives us, love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. Or in Matthew 28, when Jesus says, he came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey, there's that word again, all the commands I've given you. Be sure I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Two instructions from Christ capture all other instructions that God has for us. The great commandment, the great commission. If we could just love God with all that's within us and love people with all that's within us and then go make disciples, we'd be obeying what Jesus asked us to do. If we could just do those two things well, we could just love God and love people, if we could just tell others about Christ and make disciples Christ followers who are taught to obey his commands, we would change the world. If we could just do those two things well. Churches split over doctrine and practice and where the emphasis lands. And listen, as long as I have a vote here, we will do our best not to stray from the scriptures and doctrine and practice, okay? But if Jesus is telling us that we need, if we love him, we need to obey him, then all of us need to do what he says. Now watch, this is where he ties in his word in 2 Timothy 3. I'm gonna read starting in verse 10, Amplified. Now you've diligently followed my example, Paul talking Timothy. That is my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, steadfastness, okay? You've diligently followed. You're doing the things that I've taught you to do. You're doing the things that I do. And then he says this crazy statement, persecutions and suffering such as happened. I mean, he starts listing the places that he was persecuted. Antioch, Iconium, Lystra. What persecutions I endured, but the Lord rescued me from them all. Okay, God rescues us through, through persecution. Just like he rescued Azia Bibi over time and she got free from the ones that were persecuting her. Okay, Indeed, All who delight in pursuing righteousness and determine to live godly lives in Christ Jesus. Is that any of you? Do you delight in pursuing righteousness? Do you want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus? That's good, but this is what he says. All, does he say some? Does he say most? Does he say all but you? come on, Michelle, you're sitting in the front row today. You're gonna to be delivering the benediction. You're immune from persecution, right? Because you're his favorite one. No? All, oh, okay. That pretty means everyone. Just, just, you know, look it up in the Greek language. It means everyone. All who delight in pursuing righteousness and are determined to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will be hunted and persecuted because of their faith. That's a great chance to say amen. (laughs) What do you mean we're gonna be hunted and persecuted? Yes, persecution is good for you. It's good for you. (laughs) But evil men and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, but as for you, continuing the things you've learned and what you've convinced, holding tightly to the truths, knowing from who you learned them. And how from childhood you've known the sacred writings or the Hebrew scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus, surrendering your entire self to him and having absolute confidence in his wisdom, power, and goodness." If you're afraid of persecution, you probably don't have faith in his absolute absolute power, confidence, and goodness, his wisdom. You don't have confidence in that. Then he says this, all scripture is God-breathed. It's given by divine inspiration, okay? It is profitable. And this is what scripture is supposed to do when you read it. Instruction. Conviction of sin, which means it points out the darkness in your heart, in your soul, in your mind, those areas where you're not measuring. It it points that out to you so you become aware of it. It convicts you of sin. It corrects you of error and restoration to obedience. So not only does it correct you, it shows you the pathway back to life or truth. For training in righteousness, learning to live in conformity to God's will, both publicly and privately, being honorably, behaving honorably, with personal integrity and moral courage. It's teaching you how to act, how to live, okay? That's what the scriptures are supposed to do. And the purpose of instruction, conviction of sin, correction from error and leading us back to obedience, training in righteousness so that we can live right is that the man of God might be complete and proficient, outfitted and thoroughly equipped for every good work. God equips us with his word and we go through all of the instruction, conviction, the training and the uh, learning so that we can live in this life with moral courage, equipped so that we can do the things that God has assigned us to do. Now he goes on in, in chapter four, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. Jesus. Who's the judge of the living and the dead? Because Jesus is the judge. And one day, every one of us is gonna stand before him. And he's gonna ask you, what'd you do with the knowledge of my son? And by the appearing of his kingdom, preach the word as an official messenger. Be ready when the time is right. And even when it's not, keep the sense of urgency, whether the opportunity seems favorable or unfavorable, whether convenient or inconvenient, whether welcome or unwelcome. And then he goes back into correct those who err in doctrine or behavior, I saw a meme the other day, it was kinda funny. The preacher, it's not funny at all, but the preacher was saying, hey, beware, there's a ravenous wolf and you saw this little flock of sheep and this giant wolf. Beware of the ravenous wolves. And one of the sheep started chastising the preacher saying, you're judging me, you hypocrite, and you, you know, stop being so judgmental as the wolf was about to devour them. When you correct someone's wrong behavior The scriptures, we do it in meekness and we do it in gentleness, or you should be if you're mature. But what happens is if they're off in their doctrine, they need to be warned. It even says, warn those who sin. Why? So that they might come back to righteousness, come back to the path. Exhort and encourage those who are growing towards spiritual maturity. That's all of you. You all wanna grow into spiritual maturity, right? You wanna become mature in your faith? So we exhort you, we encourage you to do that with inexhaustible patience and faithful teaching, which means that your patience is gonna be tested when you try to correct and exhort and warn and encourage people. In simple terms, when someone stands on the platform and preaches the scriptures to you, for some reason, people don't always get it the first time you teach it, or the second time you teach it, or the third time you teach it, or the fourth time. So you have to patiently, continually put the word before the people until they get it. I mean, how many of you, when you're reading the scripture and God shines light in a dark area inside of your heart, you instantly say, you're right, God, I have to change and you make the immediate adjustment and you stop doing that thing that he's pointing out to you that you're not supposed to do anymore. Oh, come on, there's gotta be at least one of you that does that sometimes. No, for real. In your life, how do we do this? What happens is we hear it and we hear it and we hear it and we hear it and after time we get faith and then we start making the adjustments or the changes necessary so that God can work out his salvation inside of us. I don't know how many times kind of cracks me up. I laugh about this. I'll say something randomly in a message and the husband will look at the wife and say, man, I do that. I guess I got to change. And then she'll come up and yell at me at the altar because she's been telling him that for 10 years and he just didn't listen to her. I'm sorry your husband tuned you out 10 years ago and stopped listening to you. However, (laughs) the point is, Who cares? Let truth go forth. And when people get truth and make the change, that's good. So there's this idea here, correct those who err in doctrine or behavior, warn those who sin, exhort and encourage those who are growing towards spiritual maturity with inexhaustible patience and faithful teaching. And the reason we do this is because the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine and accurate instruction that challenges them with God's truth. There's gonna be a day and an hour where people don't wanna hear the truth, okay? But wanting to have their ears tickled with something pleasing, they will accumulate for themselves many teachers, one after another, chosen to satisfy their own desires and support the errors they hold. They will turn their ears away from truth and wander off into myths and man-made fictions and will attempt, uh, sorry, will accept the unacceptable. This is what I wanna get to, though. But as for you, be clear-headed in every situation. Stay calm and cool and steady. Endure hardship without flinching. Do the work of the evangelist. That means you're all supposed to go do the work of the evangelist and tell others about Jesus. And then there's this, this statement. Fulfill the duties of your ministry. And some of you go, ooh, I don't want to hear that. Fulfill the duties of your ministry. Because God, who breathed you into existence, has an assignment on your life. He's assigned you to accomplish some things while you're here on planet Earth. He's instructed you, he's equipped you, and he's gifted you so that you could fulfill those things that he has assigned for you to do. That means that there's a response required from you to activate faith in the direction that God is pointing you so that you can go forth and accomplish those things he's asked you to do. Does that make sense? For instance, uh, today it was Pastor Mitchell and Jack and they were up here and they were talking about the newsletter It's not hard, it's an email a week, but it lets you know what's going on, okay? But I'm I'm mystified, and, and I'll tell you why I'm mystified on some things. How many of you that are married, your marriage is really, really good and you never have any problems? No one has a perfect marriage? One person has a perfect marriage? One couple? There's one couple that has a perfect marriage. Two couples that have a perfect marriage? Did I see a single person put their hand up because they're married to Jesus? <laughs> of all the couples in here that have to navigate through stuff, we just, I, I think it's stopped now because it's like week three or four, but we put in the newsletter that there was an empowerment class for marriages specifically designed to help husbands and wives come together on a higher level, function on a higher level, understand each other on a higher level, right? To work through some of the nonsense that slows them down, but very, very, very few people took advantage of that class. That was there for your benefit to equip you so that you could do better in marriage. So either people don't read the newsletter or people don't care to make their marriage better. I pray for people, 30 people have told me, oh, my marriage is struggling, pray for my marriage. Okay, well, why didn't you show up for the class? It's like someone telling me they're hungry and I give them food and then they don't eat it. After a while, I don't believe you that you're hungry because you're not doing what's necessary to to fix it. So if you just want to whine, go whine somewhere else, for real. We are trying, (laughs) like we make things available. The word of God is there for you. It's there so that you can grow and mature. We gather together so that we can mature in faith and go do the things that God has assigned us to do. Why do they have to come up here and say, hey, we need 100 people to sign up for Journey to the King and we're only at 65. We need 35 more people to sign up. Why do we have to do that? It should be an automatic byproduct of our faith. Hey, there's an opportunity to serve. Let's go serve together and touch our community. It should be natural for us as Christ followers to step into the role that God has for us and we look for opportunities to go do good works. I grew up that way. I didn't start here. I started doing everything I could, everywhere I could all the time. We served. We served we looked for opportunities to serve and when there was no opportunities, we created opportunities. I don't think that I think that much differently than all of you do. But see, what I'm trying to explain to you is how are you ever gonna fulfill the things that God has called you and assigned you to do if you don't step out in faith and activate the gifting that he's given you to fill the roles and the responsibilities that are before you? Jesus is very clear on this stuff. Well, I'm going to very different than first, but watch. It even says if you're faithful over the little things, then you can become faithful over greater things. Okay? You don't start faithful over much, you prove yourself faithful over little. And then as you gain experience and confidence, and as people get to know that you are trustworthy, then you get entrusted with more. Do you see that principle? Young people, listen carefully. It's okay to take an entry-level position and work hard and work your way up through the ranks. You don't have to start at the top. Because you're setting yourself up for failure because you haven't gained the experience necessary for you to stay there. Oh, that's good. Fulfill the duties of your ministry. And then... (laughs) Jesus is life. He is life. He is alive. We are eternal beings. And if you have Jesus, you have life. Without Jesus, you don't have life. 1 John 5, 11 and 12. And this is what God has testified. He's given us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. If you have Jesus, you have life. Whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. If you don't have the Son of God, you don't have life, period. Jesus, who is life, offers us life in him. Now, we've spent seven weeks going through the I Am statements of Jesus, how he revealed himself to humanity. I wanted to put those into a paragraph to see if we could sum up what we've been talking about. Jesus... He revealed himself as the light of the world who will illuminate the gate or the door to enter the pathway to eternal life. Jesus is the good shepherd who cares for his sheep, who leads us to the sheepfold of safety and salvation. He connects us to himself in God's vineyard and he is truth and reveals the heart of God towards humans at all times. Nourishing us mind, body, and spirit with his words of life, the bread from heaven and ultimately allowing us to partake of the resurrection life that he made available to us through his sacrifice on the cross. That's the revelation of Jesus. Now, 1 John 5, 20, and we know that the Son of God has come and he's given us understanding so that we can know the true God and now we live in fellowship with the true God because we live in fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ. He's the only true God and he is Eternal life. Humans cannot have eternal life without Christ. In Romans 8, chapter, uh, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. There's no guilty verdict or no punishment for those who are in Christ Jesus who believe in him as their personal Lord and Savior. Now, for the law of the spirit of life, which is in Christ Jesus... The law of our new being has set you free from the law of sin and death. In the garden, when they partook of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the fruit of that tree, sin entered in. Because of sin, mankind became separated from from God because he's holy and you can't have sin in his presence, right? So you've got man and God separated. The law of sin and death was in the earth. Every time someone sinned, they came under the effect of the law of sin and death and they were separated from God and they were doomed to eternity without God, apart from God. The Bible teaches about heaven and hell very clearly. The law of sin and death. Jesus, who is life, came and when he hung on a tree and was crucified for mankind's sin. He released the law of life. The law of life supersedes the law of sin and death. So if you access salvation through Christ, the law of life will overwhelm and overrule the law of sin and death that was on your life. And the judgment against you gets released and you allow yourself or God allows you to enter into eternal life with him in heaven, to be with him as his son and daughter. He restored your sonship or he restored your daughtership that was lost because of sin. Now, what the law could not do—that is, overcome sin and remove its penalty, its power being weakened by flesh, man's nature without the Holy Spirit. So all the all the law of the Old Testament pointed towards, um, you know, the New Covenant. But ultimately, it was external law that they were trying to apply. I, I've done this before, where you know this doesn't really do me any good. I'm not gonna quench my thirst like this. How many know that's not how it works? I have to ingest it. And when I bring the liquid, peppermint tea in this case, inside me, then it can go and bring nourishment to my my system. External law being applied to your life like that all through the old covenant, you see illustration after illustration of person after person who couldn't keep God's law because it was external. That's what it's talking about there. But what the law couldn't do, God did. He sent his own son in the likeness of sinful man as an offering for sin and condemned sin in the flesh, subdued it and overcame it in the person of his own son so that the righteousness and just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not live our lives in ways of the flesh, guided by the worldliness in our sinful nature, but live our lives in the ways of the spirit guided by his power. Jesus, in his nature, he changed our heart. We became a new creation. We became a new person. And he wrote his law on our heart in the new covenant. And now it's a part of who we are. It's a part of your new nature. So now we have the capacity and the ability to overcome sin. Because it's no longer an external principle that we're trying to apply. It's God's word alive inside of us. And we live life and we express that from the inside to the outside. And that's how God desires us to live. As men and women filled with his spirit, his presence and his power who go about listening to what he instructs us to do and being obedient to all of his commands in his written word that's revealed to us and in his spoken word to us, which lines up with his written word at all times. Jesus is the way, the only way to eternal life, the only way to God. He is the truth. He is truth. It's an attribute of who he is. And he is life. You wanna live forever, you're not gonna live forever without Christ. And then at the end of, towards the end, in John 14, 27. He says, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. And he kind of brings it full circle and says, look, I can bring you to the place of peace. Not just peace of mind and like peace of mind and heart. The world's never gonna give you peace. In the world, there's fear. But in the kingdom there's love. It even says perfect love casts out fear. God's love is present, then fear is not. You can stand with me. Let's go to the table. Communion or the Lord's Supper. You know, we have the elements that represent the body and the blood of Christ and and as we come to this place, we look within and we say, Jesus, I receive forgiveness from you of all of my sin and I thank you for saving me. But I also release forgiveness towards anyone that's wronged me, anyone that's mistreated me. I release forgiveness to them today. And then you come to the table, you come to the celebration meal where we remember and declare the Lord's death till he comes again with clean hands and a pure heart. So Father, as we have the bread in our hands, we remember the broken body of Christ. Mind, body, and spirit. Heal us, Lord. Restore us to wholeness by his stripes. Your word says that we are healed. Thank you, Jesus, that you heal our minds and you heal our bodies. And you restore to wholeness that every sickness and disease has to flee Jesus, that we can be restored to health and wholeness because of this sacrifice of Christ. So today, Lord, as we sum up the I am revelations of Jesus, I thank you that you are alive and powerful and you're revealing yourself to each and every person at the sound of my voice today and that they can know you as the loving God who has a great plan for their life. And that because they love you, they can obey the things that you've asked them to do. Making disciples, loving people, and putting you first place in their life. In Jesus' name. Father, as we have the cup, you know the new covenant was initiated by the blood of Jesus. I thank you that that blood will never lose its power. The sacrifice for our sin was paid on the cross. Jesus, by faith, we access forgiveness. Thank you that you cleanse us, that you've redeemed us, that you've purchased us, and we're free from the law of sin and death now. Help us to keep you in the first place, the highest place in our hearts. Let us serve you with all of our strength. And today, Father, as we purpose to lift up the name of Jesus in all that we do, I thank you that you're glorified in our life, our action, and our words. In Jesus' name. Michelle will come now.
0: Thank you, Pastor RJ. I was telling him in the first service, this has probably been one of my favorite teachings. I love the I am's. They're impactful. We started with the scripture. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. That is Christ. But we have to understand his intention for this. Jesus was sent from heaven by his own Father purposely. Jesus, the Word, was made flesh and dwelt among us purposely. Jesus was crucified, resurrected, and returned to the Father purposely. The Father was his destination. We have to pursue Christ, Jesus, in order to get to the Father. The route Jesus took to his destination is his passion, the cross, culminating in the resurrection. All of this is the way which he took to get to the Father. But thankfully, we don't have to take the same route. So be be at peace with that. So how do we follow Jesus today to get to the Father? The same way the disciples did, it's very simple. They heard the words of Jesus and believed. They heard the words of Jesus and were obedient. They believed that he was the Son of God. They believed that he crucified and was die the perfect shedding of blood, the perfect lamb of God for the forgiveness of, our, forgiveness of our sins. And he resurrected to give us life. They followed his example by preaching the gospel and doing great works. And Jesus said, you'll even do greater works when the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, when you accept Christ. His instructions are very clear of how we are to get to the Father and spend time in his kingdom, eternal time with His king, in his kingdom. John 8, 32 says, Jesus says, if you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. The way of truth brings life, and when Jesus says he is the truth, he is saying that we can trust him to get to the Father. So, Windsor Christian Fellowship, you have been equipped, now go, Amen.